calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. listening to episode 10 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 21, Diurnia Orbital, December 23rd, 2372. Around 1500, Ms. Arione came back from the chandlery with a pack of filters under her arm. Here you go, Skipper. Any problems? She found me sitting on the step of the ladder, going through a high-resolution schematic of the ship on my tablet. It was slow because the screen was small and I was trying to look at everything. When I didn't move, she came over to see what I was so absorbed in. We missed something on our survey, and I'm just trying to see if there's anything else we missed. Really, sir? What did we miss? That. I pointed to the flat cover on the deck near the base of the ladder. She leaned over and looked at it. What is it, sir? Open it. She shrugged and fumbled with it for a few heartbeats until she found the way of it and then flipped it open, revealing the small handle inside. She peered down, hands on her knees. What is it, Sar? Turns out that it's a lift, among other things. She turned her head to look at me without straightening up, giving me a very sideways look of incredulity. A lift, Sar. I pursed my lips and nodded. Yes. Did you happen to wonder how the food gets into the coolers and freezers up there? Yesterday, I mean, when we were doing our little survey? She straightened then and looked up at where the galley was. Actually, no, sir. Me either, Miss Arione. I looked at her and craned my neck to look up at the top of the ladder. It had just occurred to me that it would take a lot of work to lug two metric tons of food up there, one case at a time. She frowned. I just assumed we'd use a grav pallet. Decent assumption, except the standard grav pallet can't climb. They do well on a level deck, but a serious incline defeats them something about the stabilizers. Mr. Wyatt tried to explain it to me once, but I'm not sure I really get it. Anyway, a pallet of frozen food won't go up the ladder. She looked up, examined the overhead, and then looked back down into the recess on the deck. And that's a lift, sir. She sounded skeptical. So it seems, Miss Arione. I stood up and stepped back from the foot of the ladder. Try it. I have several times. She crouched down and reached in, turning the handle the wrong way at first, and then the other way with a click. Just as it had every other time, the ladder retracted into the deck. Ms. Arione stood and stepped back, watching the process as transfixed as I had been. When it was flush against the deck, she frowned in concentration and looked around, first back at the lock and then into the cargo hold. That's why it looked odd, sir. The ladder was in the way. Yes, Ms. Arione. How did we miss that, sir? 
and now you know what I was doing, going through the schematics, trying to see what else we might have missed. She laughed. How did you find it, Skipper? Well, I'd like to claim superior knowledge, advanced wisdom, and virtue of my position, Miss Arione. The delivery guys showed you, sir? I grimaced in chagrin. Her laughter echoed quite delightfully around the open cargo bay. Come on, Miss Arione, I'll show you how to change a water filter. You do know how to do that, don't you, Captain? She grinned at me evilly as we walked back to engineering. I'll have you know I served for several months in the environmental section on the Lois McKendrick, Miss Arione. I'm sure, Captain, but do you know how to change one of these filters? The grin widened to show teeth. I'm certain we'll figure it out, Miss Arione. She groaned and reached for her tablet. What are you doing, Miss Arione? Looking up the water filtration system so we can find the filter SAR. Oh, those I looked up already. Then what do we need to figure out, then, Captain? I shrugged and gave her a wry smile. Whether or not these need a wrench. I held up the package of filter cartridges. She laughed for a very long time after that, which I found really quite delightful. I didn't think Miss Arione actually laughed all that much in her life. In the end, the filters mounted very much like the ones on the lowest did. The filter housings used a fast-release latch, which facilitated the removal of the old and replacing the new. As I suspected, the old filters were pretty gummy, and I felt better about the results of our cleanup, knowing we'd be swabbing down with clean hot water. By the time we got the filters in place and the water turned back on, it was after 1600. We broke out enough of the cleaning supplies to clean the galley sink and wash down the table and chairs so we could sit without sticking. To celebrate, we each cracked open a bottle of fresh water, cold from the chiller, and settled at the table to plan. Tomorrow we can start, well, continue, cleaning, Miss Arione, but that latter thing has me worried that there are other little surprises. I can't imagine what they might be, but that we missed that one concerns me. She looked at me sourly. Does that mean you're going to stick me with the cleaning, sir? I grinned at her and took a deliberate swallow from my bottle before replying. No, Miss Arione, it'll go faster with two of us, and we're only going to get this place livable again for now. Making it pretty, we'll have to wait until we get more help. And then what, sir? And then we move in and see where we are on the money front. In a few more days, you'll be hearing how rich you are from the Chernyakova, sir. I'm more interested in what Mr. Simpson has going on with my capital. If we're going to buy this ship, then I need to look for a crew. If not, then I need to look for a ship to lease. She frowned at me. Now I'm confused, sir. I thought this was the ship. I think it is, Miss Arione, but I'm thinking about what happens if we don't get this ship. What can we do instead to get the company going? You'd lease one, Skipper? That's what Mr. Simpson suggested. I shrugged and took another pull from the water bottle. Miss Arione gave the mess deck a slow scan. It would be a shame to spend a lot of time and effort on this one if we have to go to another. It would. But this is still our best shot. Anything we do now means we won't have to do it later, and we'll be that much closer to getting underway. True, sir. What are you thinking about for crew? We'll need an engineering first officer. I'm not certified on these drives, and frankly, I'm better on the bridge than the engine room. I'd love to find somebody with experience in the design, but it's so rare the odds aren't good. What about Chief Gerhardt, Skipper? I'm afraid that boat has sailed, Miss Arione, and I'd hate to poach crew from Captain Thomas. She's already had to replace two people. She didn't look convinced, but shrugged her acceptance. Who else? I'm thinking one more deck rating. Somebody for helm watch. Is that required for ship this size, Skipper? I shook my head. No, but we've got a quarter share coming with us, and I'm thinking I'd just as soon keep a helm watch going for safety's sake. It's probably overkill, but I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. She frowned at me. A quarter share, Skipper. I sighed. Yes, Miss Arione? 
That's the big thing that DST wants in return for selling the ship to me for scrap. They get to put a crew member aboard for Stanier. She started to say something else, but I shook my head. For now, I'd really rather not talk about it. When we get the ship underway, we can revisit it. But for planning purposes, there will be you, me, an engineer, a quarter share, and one more deckhand. Who's going to do cargo? Me. And you're going to cook, too? I suspect we'll have to take turns in port, but I can do most of it while we're underway. A fast packet is a bit different from the heavy freighters. Okay, Skipper, so what's our plan? She looked dubious, but seemed willing to give it a shot. I need to find out more about the ship. We have the full engineering schematics on the tablets, but these screens are impossibly small for what I'm trying to do. It's too bad we don't have a big monitor like we did on the Agamemnon, sir. That'll be one of the first things I get, but I can't really see getting one before I've got an engineer to install it, or before it's my ship to install it on. We could use the consoles on the bridge or in the cabin, but until we get those spaces cleaned up, I don't really want to spend much time there. What we need is a huge screen like we've got back at the hotel. As soon as I said it, we both realized we were sitting in the wrong place. Ms. Arione grinned at me. Race you to the lock. By 1700, we were trying to figure out how to interface a tablet with a huge entertainment screen on the wall. The display was easily three meters wide and two tall. All we needed to do was figure out how to get a signal from the tablet to the screen. While Ms. Arione explored the tablet, I dug into the programming interface on the video display and soon discovered the settings we needed. I linked my tablet to the large screen and settled on the sofa to watch the show. Engineering data visualizations had progressed a lot since my early days on the Lois, and they hadn't been bad then. With the monster display and the tablet interface, we were able to show the ship, her systems, her structure, zoom in and out, spin it around to look from different angles. Once we got it on the big screen, the fine details, like the ladder hydraulics, were obvious. We explored under the decks and behind the bulkheads. We traced the air, water, data, and electrical systems. We found the panels that controlled the environmental zones. There were several things we found that we couldn't quite decide about. One of them looked like the passenger cabins had some extra insulation in the outer ship's bulkheads. I couldn't make up my mind whether they were radiation shields or physical puncture shields. Neither made much sense. One thing that we found rather intriguing was that the partitions between the cabins looked like they could be moved. Ms. Arione spotted a line of dimples in a cross-structure while we were tracing the water lines for the various head installations, and when we rotated the view and zoomed in, the schematic revealed a clever pin-and-lock arrangement. Obviously, the partitions weren't structural, but it certainly opened up some possibilities in terms of configuration. Ms. Arione proved to have a knack for spotting things that didn't line up or which weren't quite what they might be. She didn't always know why the line was wrong or the space was odd, but between us we learned a lot about the ship. Every new view revealed something else to follow up on. Each new discovery triggered discussion about the implications for future traffic. I don't know how much of it Miss Arione actually followed, but she did an excellent job of getting me to explain things to her, and in the explanation I learned a lot about the ship and how I might want to use her. At 01.30, we finally ran out of steam. We sat on the sofas, staring at the schematic. Miss Arione fiddled with the display, using my tablet and rotating it randomly this way and that. There's a whole lot of possibilities here, Skipper, she said, after we'd stared silently at the screen for almost two full ticks. But what about passengers, sir? What about them, Ms. Arione? Well, we've been talking about freight, but we have these cabins, and I guess I sort of assumed we'd carry passengers. I think we'll need to, Ms. Arione. What about them? Sir, who's going to take care of them? I mean, you said you were going to cook for the crew, but can you run the ship and cook for passengers and deal with all that? Don't passenger ships usually have stewards? 
Thank you, Miss Arione. I'd completely overlooked that. I assumed I'd just get my steward endorsement and we'd be fine, but that's not going to work, is it? I think you're going to need somebody to take care of passengers. A cook would be good, Skipper. Not that you're not a great cook, but somebody who can be in the galley all day, every day, like Mr. Wyatt did when we were underway. Kind of like a host or something. You're right on the mark, Miss Arione. I wonder if we need to add another rating. That still leaves the problem of how we're going to stand out in the crowd. We know what we can do with the ship, but I don't see anything different from what any other ship can do. I think you're right, Skipper. She stared for a few heartbeats. So we'll just have to differentiate on service. How do you mean? We'll just have to offer some special service or experience, sir. Any idea what, Miss Arione? She shook her head. Dinner cruises, maybe, sir. I frowned to try to focus a bit better. Dinner cruises, Miss Arione? Yes, sir. Short cruises around the system. Get underway, serve a gourmet meal in space, get them home in time for breakfast. She paused. Or something. I sat there staring at her. My tired brain took in the notion, but I couldn't figure out how the logistics of something like that might work. She waved her hand at me. Don't look at me like that, sir. It was just an idea, something that nobody else does. I didn't mean it as something we should do, just trying to think of stuff we could do that nobody else is doing. I understand, Miss Arione, but I think my brain just reached saturation and needs to sleep. See if I can process it. She frowned at me and nodded slowly. You know, sir, that's an excellent idea. She rose unceremoniously and headed for her end of the suite, leaving the lights on and the video displaying. The door closed with a soft whomp, and about four heartbeats later I heard what sounded like a body falling on a bed. I chuckled to myself, shut off the video, claimed my tablet before heading for my own bed and sinking into the darkness. Chapter 22, Diurnia Orbital, December 24, 2372. Because of the long evening, we got a late start. It worked out for the best because it gave me an opportunity to detour us to Light City. It took almost ten ticks to buy a two-kilo brick of Moscow morning because of the number of people in line to get their morning fix. We got back to the ship around 0945, quite late by my standards, and our first order of business was the galley. A simple detergent and hot water, along with a liberal application of elbow grease and the occasional scouring pad, stripped the galley of most of the dirt, grease, and accumulated neglect. Some stains required a bleaching cleanser, and the coffee urn got the white vinegar treatment, leaving a strong pickle smell in the galley, and a mess deck that was not a health hazard. It took the rest of the morning to get the galley clean because of the intricacy of the area. Stovetops, ovens, sinks, chillers, counters, and cupboards all needed attention. It took a while, but because the previous crew stripped the ship of anything not nailed down, we didn't have to move things to clean under them, nor did we need to clean pots, pans, dishes, or flatware. We didn't have any. At around noon, with the galley and mess deck looking as clean and bright as it would, short of a fresh coat of paint and a new deck coat, I discovered the error of my ways in purchasing the brick of coffee. No cups, Captain, Miss Arione pointed out with a certain level of glee in her voice. I stood there with the brick of coffee in my hand, still sealed, and stared glumly at the gleaming urn, piped and wired to the counter. No cups, Miss Arione, I confirmed. Also, no grinder, no filters, and... I turned to look at her. Do you take your coffee black, Miss Arione? She shook her head with a grin. I didn't think so. No creamer, no flatware. She waved her hand at the empty cabinets. Nothing, really, Skipper. I put the bag of beans on the counter next to the coffee maker and leaned against the counter to think. I knew we'd need to get a few things before we could move aboard, but somehow I expected there'd be at least a set of basic gear. 
I know, Skipper. I've just been looking at the end of my nose and not quite thinking it ahead. She yawned, and last night's cram session didn't help my ability to focus. I want a nap. I pinched the bridge of my nose and tried to think logically. We have, what, two more days before the Chernyakova auction ends? Something like that, Skipper. Ms. Arione emptied and rinsed our cleaning buckets in the kitchen's utility sink and spoke without looking at me. How long will it be before we know anything on this end? I really don't know, Ms. Arione. I would think it might take a day or two for message traffic to reach us here, and maybe as much as four or five for the credit transfers. I have no idea, but I bet Mr. Simpson does. What do we do now, Skipper? After lunch, we keep cleaning. The sound of the lock opening cut through the galley. Frowning at each other, we hustled out of the ladder and headed down to the main deck in time to see Kirsten Kingsley leading a small parade through the passenger lock. She looked up and smiled as we clattered down the ladder toward her. "'Captain! Miss Arione!' she called. Adrian was the last through the lock, and he took up station looking back out. Miss Arione crossed to the lock controls and keyed it closed, giving him a wry smile. "'That'll keep the threat level down, won't it?' Kirsten almost choked, trying not to laugh, and turned to face me instead. Behind her, on her left, a rather imposing man in an impeccably tailored brown suit scanned the vestibule, his eyes catching on every ding, dent, and broken console. Eventually, his survey came around to me and stopped. On her right, a bow-legged old fellow in a badly stained ship suit stumped along a couple of steps behind. Havril, this is the Captain Wang I told you about. Kristen turned to the tall man on her left. Captain Ishmael Wang, this is Havril Kimball. Havril handles all the procurement and disposal from the breaker's yard here. I held out my hand. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Kimball. He looked at my hand before taking it and giving it a rather limp and moist shake. Captain? She turned to the older man on her right. Montague Bailey. This is Captain Ishmael Huang. Captain Huang, Chief Engineer Montague Bailey. Chief Bailey nodded at me without really looking at me. His eyes kept straying to the broken console on the bulkhead. Nice to meet you, Chief. Sar? He nodded again, and his head twitched a couple of times, like he was trying not to look to the left, but he couldn't help himself. I arched an eyebrow at Kirsten, who smirked, but otherwise offered no explanation for Chief Bailey. I'm happy to see you, Miss Kingsley. I was just thinking about the engineering reports. That's why we're here. She turned to Mr. Kimball. Haverhill? He nodded pleasantly enough to Kirsten and frowned at me. I've seen the reports and talked to Kirsten about the ship. She tells me you're willing to buy it for scrap value, Captain. Mind telling me why? I need a ship. I'm just starting out, and I can't afford much of one. When I heard about the Jezebel, I thought it might be just the vessel I was looking for. I swung an arm, indicating the scarred and dented cargo deck. It's in pretty rough shape, as you can see, and when I first saw it, the scrubbers were on the verge of failing. I also read the reports, Captain. Did you have anything to do with drawing those up? I shook my head. Not me, sir. I just got a copy yesterday. Those were apparently done before Ms. Arione and I came aboard as caretakers. And just what have you done as caretakers, Captain? We've gone over the ship, making a punch list of issues that need addressing. Yesterday we changed the water filter so we'll have clean water to clean with. Today we started cleaning the galley so we can use that as a base of operations while we're aboard. Have you found any discrepancies between the engineering reports and your punch list? Mostly they don't intersect. The engineering report looked at the big things. Sails, power, gravity, that stuff. Ms. Arione and I went through and identified missing light panels, broken switches, bad hinges, and the like. I'm not rated to run these fusactors and generators, so I haven't tried them. Being docked, of course, we haven't tested the auxiliaries. He nodded slowly, and I got the impression that I'd passed some test I was not aware that I'd been taking. What'd you find on your punch list, Captain? Anything not nailed down is missing. 
The ship's spares closet is almost bare. There are no tools, no cooking gear in the galley other than the built-in appliances. Everything is filthy, and almost every piece of gear has had hard use. What's your assessment of the vessel's spaceworthiness, Captain? I wouldn't want to take it out. Just restocking the spares closet will be expensive. I understand the sail generator coils are out of whack, and I'd guess the major systems all need a good flush-out and restart. And in spite of that, you're willing to buy it at scrap value. It's that and fix her up as we go along or lease. I'd be hard-pressed to raise the capital needed to buy a new one, but with a bit of sweat equity, a few replacement parts, and some judicial investment, I think we can make this ship space-worthy. If I lease, I pay a lot of credits, haul freight, and accumulate rental receipts. At the end of the lease, I wave goodbye to the ship. It would be easier in terms of starting up. I could focus on the business and not on the vessel, but there are some advantages in capitalization. I paused and ran a hand over my skull. I don't know. Call me sentimental, but I've kind of grown fond of the old girl. She's not that old, Captain. Ten Staniers, Mr. Kimball. Hardly a new ship. And Higby retired this design. Chief Bailey cackled briefly at that, but subsided when we all looked at him. Retired. Good one, Skipper. He mumbled and went back to carefully, not looking at the broken console. He gave every impression of a man who wanted to fix it so badly he twitched. Mr. Kimball turned to Kirsten. You want to tell me what's really going on? I can't, Haverhill. I told you. Company business related to Jeff's passing. Something's not right here. Isn't Ames on his way back from Breakall? Yes, but he won't arrive for at least a couple more weeks, and I'm trying to get stuff picked up and the ends tied off so we can move forward with the new CEO. Yes, that's odd by itself, and you know it. I know it looks odd, uh, but I have the backing of the board. He squinted at her. If I ask Ronnie, what will she tell me? If I know Ronnie, probably something rude. He barked a laugh at that. Yes, you're probably right. But what about this? Uh, she'd probably tell you the same thing. Company business. Why are you cutting Ames out of the loop? Because Ames has a conflict of interest that we need to work around to keep it from becoming a problem. So that's why you're not selling Captain Wong the ship directly. You and Ronnie want to use the breaker's yard as a fig leaf. We can sell it direct if we need to. But you'd rather not. We'd rather not. He frowned at me. This ship's in better shape than that report says, isn't it, Captain? He wasn't asking. The engineering report is correct as far as I can tell, Mr. Kimball. The valuation at the end? I shrugged. I don't know because I'm not privy to the methods they use to come up with it. He narrowed his eyes and nodded. You're a careful cuss. I'll give you that. You mind if Monty here takes a look around? I shook my head. Not at all. I'd welcome his opinion, actually. Chief Bailey perked up visibly but eyed me cautiously under his bushy white eyebrows. Go see what you can see, Monty, Mr. Kimball said. I nodded at Miss Arione, and she fell in beside the bandy-legged chief engineer. I don't need no banged babysitter, he grumbled, shooting her a look that was more petulant than personal. Oh, okay, chief. I'm not going to babysit you, she said with a grin. I want to watch and learn. He barked a single high-pitched laugh. Suck up, he muttered. But there was an edge of humor in his tone. Come on, then, Spacer. Maybe I can teach you how to bound those better than that before the day's out. He chuffed out a sigh, and I thought he said kids under his breath. He stumped toward the back of the cargo bay, a stormy frown on his face, and he even spared a glance at me on the way by. As he passed, I was certain he muttered, kids, again. What do you think he's going to find, Haverhill? Kirsten asked. I think he's going to find a perfectly operational ship with a coat of dirt on it. Assuming he does. Kirsten, I'm not sure what kind of infighting is going on over there, but I've got a duty here to recover as much as I can from hulks like these. If you sell me a perfectly good ship at scrap rates, I'm going to get as much for it as I can. She bit her lip. I understand, Haverhill. 
He relented a bit. I'm not going to screw you over by telling you one thing and doing another. DST has been a good customer and even occasional partner. But if I play this kind of game, my credibility is at risk, and that causes a problem for every single transaction we enter going forward. She nodded, and I had to give the big man my grudging respect. He had good instincts about what was going on, and he was being upfront about it. Kirsten looked at me and shrugged, but didn't say anything. I'd offer you coffee while we wait, but no cups. They all laughed at that. I felt as much as heard the fuse actors spooling up. They were cold, and bringing them online would take hours from a cold start, but apparently Chief Bailey was giving the ship a thorough look-see. The vibration lasted only for a few ticks before I felt it subside and fade out. The blowers stopped and started a couple of times over the next few ticks, and we all stood there waiting to see what new manifestation would strike. After a few ticks where nothing obvious happened, I heard the airtight door on the upper deck clank closed and the sound of footsteps and muffled voices coming toward the bow over our heads. They apparently went up to the bridge, and I heard a few odd clanks in the silence before they clattered down off the bridge and rejoined us on the main deck. Well? Mr. Kimball looked at the gnarled engineer. Chief Bailey shook his head in disgust. Banging inspectors. Everything on those reports. Yeah, bad. Crazy boogers. Missed a few actors. They need a good flush and refurb. Sales are out of phase, but only needs new coils. Everything's filthy. Even the mattresses are stained. Fibers sound, but they've connected obsolete gear on modern lines. You got no scrap here except maybe the metal itself. What'd they quote you? Thirty. He puckered like he wanted to spit on the deck, but refrained and swallowed. You'd be lucky to get that for it in scrap. Kirsten looked alarmed. Is it that bad? Chief Bailey scratched the side of his face with square fingers and muttered, scowling at the deck. Sorry, Miss Kingsley, but yeah, it's that bad. Bangers who left the ship in this condition should be put out of lock to walk home. Mr. Kimball turned to Kirsten. How badly do you want this fig leaf? She glanced at him. What's your deal? I'll give you thirty. He buys it for forty. I make my book. You get whatever the devil it is you want him to have it for, and we never had this conversation. Kirsten looked at me with question on her face. Mr. Kimball turned to look at me as well. Sounds acceptable, but let me check with Mr. Simpson on the state of my capitalization. I'll let you know as soon as I've secured funding. You know you're basically buying scrap metal? Mr. Kimball asked. I'm pretty sure I know what I'm buying here, Mr. Kimball. Chief Bailey muttered, kids. Okay, then, Kirsten said, looking around. Ishmael, if you'd get a hold of Willie, I think he's got what you need already lined up. Thank you, Haverhill. I appreciate your help here. He rubbed a hand along his jawline. I'm not sure what game you're playing, Kirsten, but as long as I'm making my book, I'll play along. I owe you, Haverhill, she said, before turning to the lock and punching the key to open it. Go make me safe, Adrian. We're doing the office in less than half a stand. He led the way off the ship, followed by Kirsten and Haverhill Kimball. Chief Bailey stumped slowly toward the lock, his head swiveling back and forth, taking in the dirt and the broken parts. He had a thoughtful-looking frown and dragged his feet enough to let the others get well ahead, before turning to me and spearing me with a baleful glare. Are you serious about running this banging bucket of bolts? Yes, Chief, I am. If I can line up the credits, I'm going to take her sailing. He cackled softly. Good. You need an engineer? I blinked. Yes, I will. I'm not certified on this stuff. He nodded and took a last look around. When the time comes, call Kirsten. Tell her you want to talk to our gramps. I heard he's thinking of coming out of retirement, the old fool. Thanks, Chief. I appreciate the lead. He just looked at me, his head nodding a bit unevenly. Then he snorted and held out his hand. We shook. He nodded again. From the dock, Kirsten yelled back into the ship. Gramps, you coming? He shot me a grin and a wink and muttered, Kids, before turning, stumping down the ramp and falling in behind the group. Chapter 23, Diurnia Orbital, December 25, 2372. 
When I met William Simpson, I had no idea what to ask or how to go about it. After the obligatory greetings, we took seats in the comfy chairs and gazed out into the dark. We sat so long, I almost wondered if he'd fallen asleep, but eventually he broke our silence. How have you done so far, Ishmael? Not too bad, sir. I'm not sure how she's done it, but Kirsten has managed to get the price of the ship down to 40. Now I need to get the money to buy it. Excellent. And crew? Have you come up with a crew yet? I think so. One of the able spacers followed me from the Agamemnon, and I'll have Christine Maloney. I'm thinking I need one more quarter share for Helmwatch and an engineer, of course. I may have found him. And how will you differentiate yourself? Any luck there? No, sir. We'll have to base it on service, because everybody with a small ship is competing on price and speed. We just don't know what that service will be. He nodded in the dimness. It'll come, my boy. Be diligent. We lapsed into silence again for a few heartbeats before he turned to me. So you probably need some money now, eh? Yes, sir. Well, we've got some paperwork to file to incorporate. Now that the name's registered, we can incorporate as soon as you've convened your board of directors. He paused. How much capitalization do you need? As much as I can get, I think. He laughed at that. Hardly, my boy. Too much is worse than too little. You'll wind up owing too many people, serving too many masters. He paused. How much will the ship cost to redeem from the breaker's yard? Forty million. I couldn't believe I was actually even saying that, let alone thinking about spending it. And you're sure you won't take your share for the prize money and retire to grow roses or something? Yes, sir. We don't know how much that is yet, my boy. I know, sir, but I want to be out there. Just checking. He smiled at me. You know you're crazy. Yes, sir. Good. In that case, let's sign some papers and you can go buy your ship. I must have gaped at him, but he didn't seem to notice. He reached down beside his chair and pulled up a legal tablet. A flick of the thumb switch brought up the document he was looking for, the backlight on the screen making his wrinkled face glow. He flipped through three or four pages of text, scanning each page rapidly as he did so. At the end, he nodded to himself and reset the document to the beginning and handed the tablet to me. Read that carefully. It's not long. If you agree to the terms, then sign it, and we'll take care of the rest. In a nutshell, your company will have nine shares, five stockholders. Privately held, preferred stock. Each share is worth ten million credits, with a dividend rate set at five percent of face value. The first dividend is due five staniers from the anniversary of incorporation. He spooled it off like it meant nothing. Perhaps to him it did. I took the tablet and began reading. I recognized some of the language from my academy days and from the many contracts I'd used and been subject to myself over the staniers. A page or so of preliminaries, agreements binding me to the laws governing business practice, statement of company name, a short statement of intended business activities, and a page listing the board of directors. The documents listed me as chairman of the board with five shares. It listed Dr. William Simpson as treasurer. There were three other names I didn't recognize. Avram Schroeder as secretary and Eden Clearwater and Roger Wentworth as members at large, each with one share. The document went further to stipulate a face value of $10 million on issuance and a dividend rate of 5% and 5 staniers, just as Mr. Simpson had sketched it out. I read that section twice. Mr. Simpson, I'm not following this valuation section. I have five of the nine shares that are each worth $10 million credits. Yes. I don't have $50 million credits, sir. How does this work? No, you have the whole company now. This document carves it up into nine pieces, five of which you'll keep, and you will sell four of them for ten million each, providing your company with the funds it needs to prosper. In five standard years, you'll begin paying us dividends of five percent per stanier, or more likely you'll buy the shares back from us. But who are these people, sir? I mean, I recognize your name, but who are the rest? Avram is an old friend of Ronnie's, very old money. He and Ronnie trade projects regularly. Uh, she was very taken with you, by the way, my boy, and under different circumstances she'd probably have financed at all. She thinks you're going places. You mean besides Jet and Dre? 
He laughed his raspy laugh. Yes, yeah, it's quite so. Anyway, since she can't invest under the circumstances, Avram is her proxy. Eden Clearwater is one of my clients. Roger's one of Barbara Green's. We try to share the opportunities where we can. Mr. Simpson, it's been a long time since I was in finance class. The four of you are giving me 40 million credits to start my company. No, not giving, no. It's an investment. We believe we'll make that money back with interest. But what about collateral and risk and all that? Oh, it's a risk, but, he shrugged. Personally, I think it's a good risk. I've met you. I've seen what you've done. Ronnie has watched you since you got out of the academy, and she's quite frankly impressed, my boy. But I didn't know where I was going. The whole situation seemed too good to be true, and I was leery of anything that seemed that good. When I talked with Mr. Locks, he said I should take the money from my settlement and retire. He would. We made him senior partner to protect us from the idiots. I don't follow. If you were the type who were inclined to take his advice, you'd never have met Ronnie or me. This deal would have died on the vine. Dick invests in assets. He advises his clients to invest in assets. He's a hardcore, cold-blooded, bottom-line guy. And as such, he's the perfect filter. People who only pay attention to assets usually miss the big opportunities. And you think this is a big opportunity? Me? Oh, yes, my boy, I certainly do. Can I ask why, sir? You can ask, but the answer isn't really anything I can point to. It's part history, part chemistry, part something I can't put a name on. You have it. Both Ronnie and I see it. We're wrong occasionally, but we're right more often than we're wrong, and it only takes a few really large wins to offset a lot of small losses. I almost choked. Forty million is a small loss. He grinned at me, his wrinkled face seeming to fold almost in on itself. Well, not to you. His raspy laugh came out of the darkness. Ronnie and I, we invest in people, not assets. It pays off much better. I looked at the document and realized I probably should have it vetted by a lawyer. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw William Simpson sitting patiently, watching the ships that sailed between the stars. There was nothing in the agreement that cost me any money, and no stipulations that appeared complex enough to hide any meaning. Most of it was simple boilerplate language that I recognized. I signed it and handed it back. Mr. Simpson took it with a smile. What? You don't want a lawyer to check it? I shook my head. It's a risk, but... I shrugged. He held out his hand to me. Congratulations, Captain Wong. We'll get the Articles of Incorporation filed today and settle the purchase agreements with Kirsten and Haverhill. You'll be required to hold a board of directors meeting sometime in the next Stanya. I'm sure the other board members would like to meet you sooner rather than later, so be thinking about it. Maybe I'll take you all out for dinner cruise. He looked at me curiously. What's that, my boy? I shook my head. Nothing, sir. Just an idea we've been banging around. If it comes to anything, I'll be sure to let you know. Okay, you do that. He reviewed the document on his screen and then filed it. Well, I suspect we'll be having the formal signing tomorrow or the next day, but go ahead and start assembling your crew and getting the ship ready for space. You'll own it by the end of the year. He paused and turned to me, his eyes glimmering in the darkness. And if the Chenyakova earns what I think it'll earn, you're going to be very glad you've got a ship to sail on. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. 
For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com.